before me family we are back once again with the amazing dale <laughs> she is here with us with another fabulous story that i am super excited to dive into but first if you have not subscribed what's wrong with you like we are listen we got amazing stories coming and you need to subscribe we are on all platforms um recently been added to um one of them, I forgot. But anyway, y'all need to get on iHeart, Spotify, uh, oh, Pandora. So y'all need to get on, all right? Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe so that you can get the latest episodes, all right? And then also join us in the She Before Me community. We got some good stuff coming up in the 2021 year. So I'm excited about that. But welcome to the show, Dale. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited because, again, um, you know, talking to a lot of women in different spaces and definitely have been watching you for a while and, you know, just looking and seeing like, dang, man, she really has a true story to tell. Um, and I would just love to know it. Um, starting off, I know that you were, according to your Be Her Now a, um, a program that you started, um, it says that you were once 302 pounds. And yes, ma'am. And then you lost it on your own. Well, you know, um, by just putting in work in the gym and just like determined to just do it, you know, by yourself. But before we even dive into that, I read something that was quite interesting and I just wanted to get your um, take on it. It says trauma in early childhood boosts the risk of obesity. And it says adolescents reported that through their trauma, you know, childhood experiences, they were 1.5 times more overweight. They were two times likely to be obese. And then they were four times likely to be severe obese. Did you feel like you had any trauma like growing up? Listen, I, when you just read that, I wanted to run. Like I wanted really? to have like a church shout and just take off. <laughs> that is that is so on point. Yes, ma'am. So okay. I'll say this. I'll say that I, I I wouldn't consider my life to be traumatic. I had a very um, to other standards, very a very good childhood. I, I was raised with you know both parents in my home, and not to say that when you are not raised with both parents in your home, because you can have both parents and it can be held on wheels. But I will say that my parents were very very loving um and they they had they had seven children okay and um two of them have passed away in the time since i was born so it's been you know we had our fair share of ups and downs i'm a pk my dad's a pastor so of course it wasn't perfect but mm -hmm. i do believe that i came from a good home i will say though that a lot of my trauma really started in my my preteen years identity and self-awareness age but i will also say that as a mother of five children, I am very, very cognizant and aware of what I am allowing them to be exposed to mm -hmm. because of my fear of obesity and childhood trauma. So what was it for you in the early like teenage years where you felt like things were kind of getting out of hand with even your weight or maybe just emotional stability? Well, again, coming from a PK background, um, 
the 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 sense of perfection mm. and feeling like you had to be perfect and not all of my siblings dealt with it i more so than the, than some because i was a um the worship leader at the church okay. and i started that position at 15. so i'm in the spotlight at 15 years old and i'm already i was born in the spotlight my dad started the church uh while my mom was pregnant with me okay so my entire life was just this what, what we would call patent leather Christianity, which is basically shiny shoes, pretty hair bows, mm -hmm. and just perfection. So when I went through lots of issues that my parents didn't know about, I had no outlet. I had nobody to talk to. Why did you choose um, to kind of talk to them about it? Why did I choose not to talk to them about it? Mm -hmm. Well, simply because, again, I did not feel like there was any grace. Um, it's more so with my mom than my father. My father is more, he's, he, over the years it's gotten better, but I'll give you a quick example. One of my sisters um, got pregnant when she was uh, 19 or 18 or 19, and <laughs> they literally had her stand in front of the church and admit her pregnancy and her sin. And if you see that, yeah, you grow up and you're watching that, like they called it accountability. And now knowing what I know now, that's not accountability, that's judgment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was going to say, you know, growing up in like those strict religious homes, mm -hmm. the weight of that can be so heavy, which is completely opposite of what it's supposed to teach us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Heavy is, the, heavy is the exact word that I would use. Um, I walked around with heaviness for years and the heaviness displayed itself physically and emotionally. So whatever I was feeling on the inside, everybody just got to see it because of my addiction to food. That was my coping mechanism because I had no one to talk to. Um, my sisters, I have older sisters and um, they all struggled with that identity issue as well. Some of us rebelled, some of us were the perfect little children and I wasn't the rebellious one at that time. Mm -hmm. I was more of the, per be, let's just be perfect. Let, like, let's yep. just make everybody happy. Yep. And I hated to disappoint my parents. I hated to disappoint those that were, you know, uh, in charge of me. I just, I, it was a goody two shoe kind of kid. And um, I, I don't even think I really became myself until 32, 32 33 years old. Wow. Yeah, I struggled big time with that. And um, I did the acceptable thing, which was to, in the church was to get married young. I got married at 20. Mm -hmm. um, and then the next following year, my daughter was actually due on my wedding anniversary. So I was 21 with the new baby, a husband who wasn't probably making not even $1,500 a month to provide for us. Right, right. So he, but he had a great heart. He was a great guy. And so my parents were so supportive of that. Again, it was the religious aspect. Like if you're in love, it's better to marry than to lust and burn basically. Mm. So yeah, I did that whole thing just to make everybody happy. Love the guy, great person. But it was like, I didn't need, I, there, I had no reason being somebody's wife. But even then, like taking it back to your you know, your teenage trauma. Yeah. What did you need from, you know, your mom or dad, you know, um, like you said, specifically your mom um, to, to kind of help you through those moments? You know what I'm saying? Like, what did you need the most from her? I would probably say, and, I, and I, <laughs> being a teenage um, newlywed, 
I, I look back on that now and being in 15, 16, 17, struggling with some of the things that I struggle with, mm. I would say ex acceptance. Like if I brought something to you, do not act like the world is over you know? because I'm sharing something to you. It's going to be painful when our kids tell us things. It's going to be heartbreaking, mm -hmm. but they need to know that we're on their side. I didn't feel like she was on my side. I felt like it was me against God, basically. So I felt like she was going to pick him every time. Yeah. Was there any specific moments where you like actually tried, even as you got older, right? Because, you know, mm -hmm. once you get 18, you like, oh. I got a voice now. So I'm going to tell yeah. you whatever the hell I want to tell you. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and your mom's like, you still ain't grown. You know what I'm saying? But you still kind of come into like having a voice. So like, yeah. did you have those moments where you kind of went back and said, hey, mom, like. You want to know something? I I tried it one time at 16 and she went off and I did not get a voice again. And I was afraid to talk to her again until I turned 30 until 32 years old. I kid you not. Dang. And then, so for all those years I held on to it. So I exploded. Like I literally went off um, because I couldn't take, I had held on to it so many years. I remember going to her and telling her how frustrated I was because she always tells me, I love her to death. She's my idol, but that was mm -hmm. the problem. She was my, she literally, she's my hero now, but then she was my idol, I should say. Yeah. And so yeah. I felt like I couldn't, I felt like she never told us her mistakes. It was always, I didn't do this as a child. And I was so obedient to my parents. And I was just this, this, this. And not to put her business out there, but I was like, well, if you were so great as a kid, how did you have one at 17 and another at 19? Mm -hmm. Like I was trying to put, she never allowed me, she never shared her story. So I spent lots of my years trying to put two and two together and how she got to where she was. Did that ever kind of like, you because know, in her, our mind, she was that, like biblical kind of, um, you know, grounding to help guide her kids or whatever. Did that kind mm -hmm. of deter you from wanting to be, to remain in the church? You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. But it didn't deter me until I became an adult, maybe two or three years ago. I put up a front and for a very long time, I, th I thought that that was the only way to go. Ooh. I thought that going to church every Sunday, I thought that mm -hmm. being involved in every ministry, serving from sunup to sun, I thought that that was it. That was going to be my life. And no, and no matter how much I hated it, I believed that that was going to be my life. Mm. I was I was in bondage, which is why I started this podcast called Broke Up With Religion, because mm -hmm. I, I wanted to keep my relationship with God intact, but I didn't want any parts of that. Yeah, absolutely. And you, I'm, you, 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 you tend to see it tend to see a lot of kids um, or not kids, but you, you tend to see a lot of adults doing that as they get yeah. old, they realize in like, yo, I can, I can continue my relationship with God and be an awesome person and not yeah. necessarily follow these strict religious kind of man-made criteria of what y'all think is supposed to be because it, it's absolutely be so opposite of what who God is so it it, it makes sense I, I definitely feel that yeah <laughs> I absolutely feel that but what about your worth and confidence as you begin to maneuver you know um you said that this the, the weight gain had came um when did it really spiral because I mean at, at 300 pounds like mm -hmm. that's over a course of a long time but when did it really begin to get out of control and what was your worth and confidence like during that time um, so I had a heavy period of only seven years because okay. I wasn't a heavy child. Although, you know, my family, we celebrated with food. We, we did all that kind of stuff as, as most black families do. Mm -hmm. I did not, I wasn't a heavy child. I did not start picking up the weight until I want to say 19. That's when the height of my imperfections really started kind of showing up a little bit. I went through a really bad breakup. Um, I went through a really traumatic experience. Again, I had nobody to talk about it with. 
And one of the things I'll say I went through was my parents thought that I was like this little Christian virgin, right? Yeah. Wasn't, and I didn't have any, I went through an experience where there was two guys, um, just a quick 15, 16 years old, two guys basically had a bet to see who could take my virginity. And I had no idea about it. Mm. And, but here I am again, I didn't, I couldn't tell anyone. I couldn't tell friends because everybody thought that I was perfect. Everybody thought that I was just holier than thou. So I held on to that along with other traumas, along with other um, uh, pain yeah. around that time. And so about 19 is when it really, really, the ish really hit the fan for me. And that's when slowly I was gaining. And now here's the battle. So the battle creeps in from, creeps in from trauma to now the trauma has caused depression. Mm. but no one's telling me it's depression. No one wants to talk about that. Everybody yeah. just kept telling me that I needed to pray my way through. Ooh. And <laughs> it was like, something's wrong, but I don't know what. So I went to the doctor. So, okay. So by then I, I probably was about 260 pounds when I said I do around 20. And at that time, I will, before I got married, I probably was like 185. And just to give a reference, I'm 5'9". So mm-hmm. that I was probably like a size 6, 8 before I got married. But the day I said I do, I was 18. Okay. That was a year later. Yeah, yeah. So, so nobody came to you and said like, you know, not necessarily like, uh, you know, are you depressed or, you know, are you dealing with some trauma, but more so like a check-in, you know? Um, um and I think that's hard to do anyway. Like when you see a, you know, a dramatic change in people we love or like, uh, you know, something's what's up. What's yeah. Up? You know what I mean? But nobody tapped yeah. in. You know, the, um, my dad used to make comments and he wasn't trying to be funny. Now that I understand, you know, he's old school, 65 year old guy. He didn't know how to come to his daughter and say, baby, you, you're gaining weight. But he would always say things to me like, do you really want to eat that? You're going to be big as a house. But he didn't mean anything by it. But he was probably the only person at, the, at that time when I was gaining the weight. My, my then fiance, I think he was scared of me because I was so I came across so confident. Mm-hmm. like I like I had it together and my mom is so funny she looked at pictures of me the other day she was like baby I just didn't know you were that big like that's her favorite thing to say to me mm-hmm. so she, <laughs> she, I guess and 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 two it happened fast I mean I put I put on a good 80 90 pounds in under a year Ooh. it happened fast and the, then the people on the other side there was the negative talk I had some relatives make some some comments and so positively no I think that People are afraid because they don't want to offend you mm-hmm. and they don't know what to say. They're, they're worried. So they just become closer to you. They love on you, but they don't know what to say. They don't know how to question your health. And I don't come from the, the most healthiest family. They're not fit freaks or yep. anything like that. Yep. So they didn't even know what to do. You know, my mother and father, but both of their families are predisposed to high blood pressure. So like they didn't know exactly what to do. I was probably the heaviest in my family as well. So that shocked everybody. Like how does this fit cute little girl go from a size six and fours to uh, 18 mm-hmm. in a year? Mm-hmm. But I you feel know? like in our culture too, it's like sometimes people just think it's normal because they think like, oh, you know, she's getting healthy, quote unquote. You know, I just remember my mom being like, oh, you look healthy now. Like, or if I, if I'm slimming down, she'd be like, don't get, you're looking sick. Like, no, this yeah. is what it looks like. Um, yeah. <laughs> I should yeah. be 210 pounds. Okay. Right. I right. should be, <laughs> I'm really supposed to be around 150, but you know, in their eyes, it's like, you're looking sick. What are you doing? You know? So. Oh yeah, girl. On the other side of it, when I lost <laughs> all that weight, I got, you called a bobblehead. Oh like, my God. Yeah, girl, the works. So yes, absolutely. I do think that 
um, people just don't know what to say. You know, they don't know the, mm -hmm. the proper the proper things to say. So they watched it happen to me. And I, I also started when you're going through depression, you begin to isolate yourself. So mm -hmm. I wasn't around friends. I wasn't around family. I didn't go to family functions. I kind of stayed seclusive. And then I had a great guy that always told me how beautiful I was, no matter what size. So yeah. Yeah. I, I basically took his word. And as my mother said, I honestly did not see how bad it got until I look back on pictures and go, whoa. Right, right. Was the depression more so of the held on trauma or did the depression come from new onsets of like, you know, something else? So it came from the trauma it originally after I went to see a therapist and I went to go get medication. It originally came from trauma. It came from suppression. Mm. Um, it, it became a chemical mm. imbalance and then it, it became a chemical imbalance and then it came on because um, the following year after my wedding, I had a baby. So I was postpartum depressed and did yeah. not know it. I was only 21 at the time. Yeah. Um, and I was struggling with that. And it also, there's a scripture that says, it's in Proverbs. It says, hope deferred makes one sick. My, when, you're hope, when you feel hopeless, you become physically ill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My, when my, when I, a part of my story was when I was around 17, when, uh, about 17 when my sister had got pregnant, my parents were so afraid of the perfection model being, you know, not what it was yeah. that they told, I wanted to go to school to be a worship leader in Dallas and I live in Houston. So about four hours away, they literally told me I could not go to the school of my dreams to be a worship leader, to study the art and make music because of the choices that she made. So they chose the college that I went to. Dang. So but not only did they choose my college, they chose... They chose oh, my they, high school. They, no, they put me in private school. They put me in this small, this white private school. Yeah. Um, they chose my high, my college. So again, my hope, I felt hopeless. I became a stay-at-home mom at 2021. 20, mm -hmm. And I did not ask to be, but it was financially for the best because we couldn't afford for both of us to work and find childcare. So it was a no-brainer that I would stay home. So it started with an onset of trauma and things just began to build upon that. Okay. And then, so when you went to therapy, um, mm -hmm. How did that begin to help you navigate and, and finding who you are? Or did, did that still kind of come later? So, so going to therapy actually gave me my voice. Mm -hmm. So shout out to my girl, Margaret, <laughs> my therapist. She, un, she, she heard about my family dynamic and she started to say, okay, listen, I'm not going to, I don't want to hear how does your family respond or what do, does, do they think? How do you feel about this? Right. What are your thoughts on this? Why are you having a hard time telling people no? Mm -hmm. When she get, helped me find my voice, that's what I think did it for me. We... To, to know that my, uh, not only did my opinion matter, but how I felt actually mattered. Right. When you grow up in a family with so many children and your parents are really parents to so many people in a congregation, sometimes you don't feel like you matter. Yeah. You get lost. Yeah. Do you feel like therapy was truly one of the only ways that you were going to be able to find that voice? Or did you think that, you know, you could find eventually? Because some people just like, are super turned off about the idea of going to therapy and don't really realize how much it can unlayer mm -hmm. um, in helping you like really peel back and release and figure out what the hell is wrong with you. <laughs> right. Because you know something's wrong. Yeah, I, I totally agree, friend. Like something's wrong. You just don't know what it is. Yes. So yes. 
I'm, I'm, not, I'm very proactive and I'm like, I can't deal, take another day mm-hmm. of not, not knowing what to do. And so you just went to there, you went straight to therapy, like, you know what, went, <laughs> something's yep. up, I need to dig, right? Okay. Yep, yep, that's yep. Awesome. I didn't have, I don't know anybody that had any good experiences with it. I don't, I can't even tell you a friend that said, now I do, but at that time, I can't even say such and such, such and such went to therapy and girl, it worked for her. Let me try it. Nope. It was like, listen. I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to try something else, but I'm not going to stop until I can heal. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when did you, you went to therapy, you began mm-hmm. to find your voice and then you said, you know what? I need to do something about this weight. Like wh- what was that switch for you? What was going on and what happened for you to like, feel like I'm just ready to just lift this and yeah. get rid of the weight start now you know, be her now, essentially, like the yeah. name your brand, you know what I'm saying? But like, what was it that triggered that? So um, for me, therapy came after the trigger because the trigger came first and the trigger for me, it's the anniversary of my sister's death is getting ready to come up January 2nd, 2014. Mm-hmm. Worst possible day of my life. I get a phone call to get to the hospital from my mother. She just says, get to the hospital. There's been an emergency, but they told her not to rush. I get to the hospital at that time. I'm 27. Mm-hmm. And I weighed, that's when I, I didn't know how much I weighed. I was just, I had two children at the time. Um, and I, I, t- I called their dad and I said, hey, listen, I need you to get to the house. I got to get to the hospital. I get to the hospital. I go into the side room and I, I, I give them my sister's name. And they said that there's nobody here with this name. Um, and so I said, okay, well, I, something's wrong. I go around the corner to the family conference room. Two officers escort me to the conference room, two security guards. And my mom is on the floor. And my dad's leaning over her and another sister is walking in with me and she screams. And that's when I instantly knew that my sister Nikki had died. Because um, Nikki, at the time, we did not know. So eight weeks after her, after her death, after the autopsy was complete, we got the word that it was something called an aortic dissection. Mm-hmm. Basically, her blood pressure got so high. She had high blood pressure. Yeah. Um, her bl- blood pressure got so high to where it literally ruptured the aorta, which is the vessel that leads to the heart. So she bled mm-hmm. out and died. Medical examiner said she died between eight and 20 seconds. So how old was she at the time? She is my age. Currently, she's 34. Mm-hmm. She's 34 years old. She was a mother of uh, three children at the time. They were seven, eight and three. And um, she's my mother and father's second eldest child. Right. And she's everybody's girl. She's Nikki is the the girl that you go to for everything. She gives you the worst advice, but she has the biggest heart ever. <laughs> she <laughs> she I loves, have a few of those, yes. <laughs> yeah, she loves heart. She's she's a protector of her family. She's she she's the Tupac fan. She was the biggest little she's five foot three, but four, but a little thug at heart. Like she'll oh beat anybody God. up for her people. And so um, yeah, so eight weeks we had to wait for an autopsy. Cause we don't know like what took her. We searched her house. We we looked, and mm-hmm. that's how I found out about my weight. Was because the next day after her death, I had a panic attack, and I got to the hospital, got on the scale, it said three hundred two. I'm like, the hell? Yeah. And uh, it sounds crazy now because I was like, oh, I thought I was like two seventy, two seventy five. Like we all do that. So, like I thought it, that, that's something wrong with your yeah. machine. Cause um, <laughs> last week I was one eighty seven. Like. <laughs> made it even better because I said 280, 270. <laughs> you no. step off, you step back on. Hold on. Try that again. Put that, hold exactly. On Let me take my shoes off. Y'all lying. And that's exactly <laughs> what I did. I took my shoes and my jacket off as if that made a big difference. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Absolutely. But I think we all do that. Yeah, you know, exactly. I'm like, hold on, let me just let me take this off a little bit. I can't pop 10 pounds. No, ma'am, that's you. Um, but you know, this oh man, so that was heavy. You know, yes, you was like your sister eight yes. weeks later, which is already traumatic, just waiting and sitting there trying to figure yes. out. Yes, my mother called the the medical examiner every day Absolutely. for a result. So when they call when they, when she called the next that that day we got the results when she called. Um, I remember her putting the people on hold and saying, hold on, let me get my other daughter on the phone because Dale knows about this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. which I didn't, but my, I, I could Google, I guess is what she felt like. I'll be able to research whatever it was. Yeah. So then when they gave us the name, I just remember going online, searching and finding out what it was and being like, this could have been prevented. Yeah. She had a doctor's appointment. She died January 2nd, 2014. She had a doctor's appointment January 3rd. Was she taking any blood pressure medication at the time? She was not. She was not. She, um, she always struggled with having a migraine. She yep. always had a headache, but that was a hypertension headache, according to the ME. Yep. Um, it wasn't just a regular headache. All the signs were there. She just didn't pick up on it. Absolutely. And I think that's in, in, in our community in, in, in any way, you know, is obviously we, have, we run high risk because of what we eat. Um, our salt intakes and all that but um they call it the you know the deadly um the silent killer the silent killer the silent killer because um we're just really not aware of the especially once you get past 30 it's like you need to go get you know labs mm -hmm. drawn and your tests mm -hmm. you know so that you can see what your levels are mm -hmm. for all your organs and mm -hmm. pressure mm -hmm. and things like that but when, when you're so young environment you're not even thinking about like you know and and, and body starting to get old and yeah you know. but we when you're when you're in your 30s and you're a single mom you're in survival mode right now. yes yeah you're, you're taking you're thinking about your children nikki nikki had just recently had separated from her husband and she had um been working a full-time job at a school as an attendance clerk and this girl would take her kids to school to the daycare in the mornings the daycare would take them to school for her then she'd pick them up from the daycare feed them dinner and just do it all over again so you're not thinking about let me take care of yourself and see she had just got the job that she had got and so she just got her medical insurance her 90 days cleared january 1st Right. So January 2nd, she passed. January 3rd, she had a doctor's appointment because on the 2nd at my mom's house, the doctor's office called to confirm that she would be at her appointment. And I answered the phone and hand the phone to my mom so that she could let the doctor's office know that she died. Right. What was going through your mind, though? You know what I'm saying? Obviously, the loss of a sibling or even, you know, parents is hard. Um, <laughs> and just a sibling, I just, you know, because although we have our parents and we're close to them, like I feel like sibling is on a whole nother scale. So yeah. what was going through your mind when you found out that it was something so modifiable? I was sick to my stomach. I really was because I probably, I think I looked down at my literal stomach and was like, I'm 27. She's only seven years older than me. This could be my fate. Right. Um, and the fact this, what really took the cake though for me, Tis, was the fact that Nikki had lost about 130 pounds on her own with diet and exercise, yeah. but she didn't, she modified how much she ate, not necessarily what she ate. She ate. Mm. So her, her pressure was still high because she still had tendencies and, and, and too high blood pressure is very much so genetic as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it, she, my mother has high blood pressure has been on medication for about 30 years now. So Nikki was already predisposed to it. And yeah. then along with not really modifying her diet. So I think that hurt me the most to know that she was trying to do everything in her power to live a better life. Mm -hmm. And it still wasn't enough because she really just needed interventions. And, you know, therapy helped me not to play the what if card. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I was just gonna what say, if, because you really like with news like that, you could really slip back into your depression and yep. you know what I'm saying? Like you could have slipped, slipped so back deep down yep. because that's such a huge thing to happen in somebody's life, like losing a yeah. something. But instead you chose to flip it and say, you know what? I need to do better. You know? Absolutely. So what was your journey like from then on? So Nikki died uh, in January, March. I got the results back for the autopsy, like the third or something. The next week I was, I was scheduling to get a lap band, right? So yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you the short version. I get a lap band done and I'm thinking this is going to be my solution. I lose 90 pounds with the lap band while going to therapy, but I'm still not changing what I eat. The lab band was probably one of the most dumbest things I could have ever done. Yeah. But it, but it was the best thing for me because I needed to see that it, the work was inside of me. Yeah. So th- I got the lab band removed three years later um, because I had so many complications with it. Picked up the phone, called my trainer, um, who was one of my, my good friends now, and I told him I needed his help. And just with him alone and modification of my diet, he and I together under a year lost 110 pounds. Wee. Now, yeah. for the for the journey itself, man, it takes it takes grit, it takes dedication, it takes commitment. But there's often times where we like fall off, you know. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Were there times where you fall, you had fallen off, and then when you did, what did you use to motivate you to get back up and keep going? Yeah. So about that falling off, <laughs> I tell people all the time when they ask me how long did it take me to lose the weight, I lost over about 150 pounds. I tell them all the time. Don't ask me that because I can't give you a real answer. Mm-hmm. I lost it, picked it up, lost 20 here, picked yep. it up. Because yep. you do fall off. Like seasons happen, seasons yep. change, and you, but you find a way to motivate yourself. And my motivation was throughout the journey, it's increased because throughout my journey, I've had more children. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm at five, <laughs> at one point, all of my children had a day of the week for me. Yeah. Um, when I would hit the gym, I would think of each one of them. And then... Before the children, it was Nikki, and my family is from Louisiana, and so there's a we listen to a lot of Zodico, and one of our favorite Zodico artists is this guy named Jay Paul Jr. and he has a song I'll call Nikki, Come Back, Nikki, Come Back. Ooh-wee! And he's talking about his girl left him, but the song basically goes, Nikki, 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 girl, come back, Nikki, come back. Baby, when I tell you, I would get on the treadmill and run, God. listening to Come Back, Nikki. And that was my song. And the, oh my I would just run into, I was big, girl, 280 shin splints in pain, j- running on the treadmill, singing, come back, Nikki. Sometimes with tears in my eyes, crying, come no, back, Nikki, right. come back. And that's, and, that's, and that's truly why I wanted to talk about that because, I mean, you know, I go to the gym um, and I was, I was dealing with weight issues, going back and forth and all that good stuff or whatever. But people don't understand that, like, you know, it's going to be a journey, but don't mm-hmm. think that the journey is just going to keep going up, up, and up, and up, and up, and up. <laughs> it's just, it's going to be some moments where you do fall off, you know, Absolutely. But, it, but what matters is, is how we tend to get back up. Absolutely. Know? And then the idea of like, you know, once I get to a certain weight, like it's over with, you know what I mean? And I've, I have family members and friends who feel like, you know, I'm already here. I'm already over 200, three, reaching 300. Like, I'm just here, you know? Right. And it's like, no, you can be at any weight and decide and make the choice that I want to do, you know, I want to do better. I want better. I deserve yeah. better. I need to, you know, I need better before my children, my family. Absolutely. All this. So, 
you know, I think that that goes back to hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you feel hopeless in 300, 400 pounds, you don't feel like you can do this. But I'll tell you what, one of the reasons why my story took off and continues to inspire so many people, Mm -hmm. I I get this all the time. They, people tell me, inbox me, and they call me, and they say, it just sounds like I can do it, too. Yeah. It just, you just make me feel like, okay, I can do this. So you would think that when I started my journey, I, I, at, once I became a trainer, I'm going to do it easy, right? I'm going to just yep. go get a friend or a family member go walk in. My very first client was 465 pounds. Because she saw me on TV here in Houston, and she was like, I need your help. And I'm like, okay, God, you really gonna throw this big old challenge in front of me? Not saying she's a big challenge, but just this challenge to help somebody lose weight this size. But she literally told me, Dale, like you made me feel like I can do it. And so I think that the transparency that I try to provide for clients and I try to provide on my social media is simply so so that people can see it's (laughs) it's not all glitter and gold. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's it's tough. How important was changing your mindset first, right? Because I think people tend to jump like surgery, tend to jump, okay, mm-hmm. lap band, tend to jump mm-hmm. like, I'm just gonna, you know, mm-hmm. do this and do that. And it's just mm-hmm. like, first of all, you need to work on the mind. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You have to get your mind in tune. So how important was it for you to make sure that like you had your mental ready for this journey? The mental is everything to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When my mental is off, I'm distracted and nothing else matters to me but um, food. Because I believe that when, and this is to anybody that's listening to this that struggles with their weight, even when you lose weight, when I haven't been able to scientifically prove this. I'm working on proving this. But the body wants to pick up whatever weight you lost. Your body misses the fat. It's kind of like your body thinks you're in starvation mode. Mm-hmm. So your body wants to pick back up the fat again. And I believe that every day it's a fight. So mm-hmm. the mental portion is so important because if you don't understand that, you will slowly, gradually pick up and then double what you lost. Every person who has picked up their weight and doubled what they lost, they have done so for the simple fact that it was about the number on the scale. Yep. And that's, it exactly, wasn't why about- I don't even, that's exactly why I don't even get on scales. Yeah, You know, people like, okay, weigh in, weigh in. I'm just like, no, because for me, it's a mental thing. Like right. I'm not going to allow myself to be triggered by numbers or worried about right. it. I want to feel good on the inside. So if I know I'm feeling good, you know, and it, because, you know, scientifically, you know, BMI is for the black community is like, you should be it's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. You know what I'm saying? And so body mass index. Right. And so they say like, okay, according to your age and your height, you should be uh thin bones like i'm supposed to be 125 Girl, i'm just like huh? where you, with all this thickness with all this booty exactly <laughs> my, my, BMI, my bmi says 145 right yeah. i was 155 at one point i was a size two four so you if know, i'm 45 at five nine i'm not trying to be cindy crawford skinny I'm you sorry. know what i'm saying like stop uh, it please stop I'm, so yeah i know it's kind of off but even then it's like for me it's if i'm feeling good you know my mind's healthy and it's in a good right. space, um, then then the body will follow. You know what I mean? So, right, right. Uh, but we have so many people who get so so tied into the number game. And it's right. like, get your mind right. Don't worry about the skip. Because uh, obviously if you're working out, 
there's there's differences in losing cardio, gaining muscle mass, but still, you know what I'm saying? You're trimming, you're slimming, you, you know, you're toning. People don't understand that there's so much that goes into like your transformation. Absolutely. Wise, you know? So what I tell all of my clients now is that when, when we look at the scale, it's not a measurement of your progress. It just lets us know where, where, how far we need to go. So every client, I don't get every client on my scale. My, my, my heavy clients, my morbidly obese, I do. Simply because at a morbidly obese weight, you need to make sure that that number is going down. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you are 465, I don't want to hear you say, oh, girl, because I, I, I have my, 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 one of my clients was uh, morbidly obese. And she literally told me, I asked her, what was her cardio for the day? She was like, I vacuumed the house. And I'm like, no, sis, that's not enough. Okay, that sounds like, like my mama. Cause she yeah, be like, we, I walked to the car, like, girl. Yeah, yeah, she, my mama, I'm like, girl, I checked the mail today. No, sis, that's not enough. So for, so for my, my, my morbidly obese clients, we do not obsess over the scale. Yeah. However, we do use it every two mm-hmm. weeks. We use it as a monitor. Now, if you're not working out and you're not pushing yourself, stay off the scale. Yeah, yeah. Because you're going to depress yourself. But if you're putting in major work, and also weight loss is scientific, okay? So it's a calorie deficit. So I, it helps me to gauge if my clients are in the right calorie deficit for what they need. So I help them come up with their meal plans for the week. Yeah. And when we make our meal plans for the week, I know based upon the plan for the week and how much exercise we have scheduled for that week, I know exactly about your target weight loss for that week. Yeah. So let's go, back, let's go back to just real quick, cause um, yes. so you 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 lost the weight, and you said mm-hmm. that like people started reaching out to you, like help me, help me. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, I don't know, but I'm assuming so that you weren't like, oh, after this weight loss, like I'm gonna become a trainer of some sort. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So what? Mm-hmm. So what was it that happened to where besides like people coming to you that was like, maybe this is my calling to help women through this journey? Because you did, you didn't have to. You know right, I mean? and that's like a huge left turn from like I'm losing the weight, and then all of a sudden I'm like, I have to help these women. Like, oh wait, and then did you listen to that voice right away, or did you fight it? Um. So one day I was in the gym with my trainer, Laron, and I were working out, and my goal was to get under 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. And as we were working out, I think I was like 210, and I was so close. And so one day. He and I were working out and I'm asking him about the quads and the hamstrings and different parts of the body. And he said, you know what, did you, have you ever, th- let me give you my book. He was, a, he's certified. So he said, let me give you my certification book. You can read through it and just target these muscles that you're asking me about. So you'll know what is it, exactly is it doing when you go to the gym. Okay. So he gave me some tips and he gave me the trainer's manual and I began to study it. And I told him, I said, I want to get certified. I want to be certified because I want to be able to have the knowledge behind my weight loss journey. Okay. So that was like uh, a few years ago, maybe two years ago. And I'm telling you, when you decide, for anybody that's listening, when you decide that I'm going to put in the work, mm-hmm. things start moving. I believe that you can call it the universe. I'm going to call it God. I believe that God works on our behalf because mm-hmm. faith without works is dead. So when you begin to move and you begin to do the work on yourself, things start happening. At the same time that I was talking about certification, at the same time, the same month that I mentioned that to Laron, I get a phone call from People Magazine. Yeah. And when People Magazine reached out to me, I had no interest in being a trainer at the time. They asked me what my inspiration was. It was just to do another marathon. 
it wasn't about training anybody, but yeah. God was already working things out, doing something in, through me. And it was like, I was going through preparation phase. People Magazine, all that was for me was to be able to basically put a stamp of approval. So I didn't need to, cause I struggle with approval. I struggle with needing Ooh. everybody's approval in my life. I wanted to be perfect. So if we go back to the childhood trauma, I still struggle with that as an adult. Yeah. I made decisions. I, I chose careers. I did the things that I did to please everybody. Yeah. So People Magazine for me, that was that stamp of approval that said, baby, you don't need nobody approval no more. Mm-hmm. Like you, you are something, you did something. Uh, you, God literally used that for me and said, you accomplished something that most people will never get an opportunity to say that accomplished. Not that you're better than anybody, but this is the approval that you were looking for. Yeah. The affirmation. And that was the what, affirmation. How was your identity in that time though? Like you had, you felt like I, I've come full circle and I figured out who, who the heck I'm, I am and what I'm supposed to be doing. Or were you still on that journey? I had just arrived and mm. and, 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 and at a place of contentment. Okay. I literally had just arrived at that time when I was getting ready to do the, the magazine. I was, I was not happy in my relationship, but I learned how to be content with where I was. And I, and I say that because I feel like, man, when you begin to truly figure out who you are and, that, and mm-hmm. you discover that identity piece, mm-hmm. then sown, you know, within the universe and God is like, they, they begin to align mm-hmm. and everything that, you know, you begin to just walk in purpose. Yep. And that's why I just tell women, like, it's so important for you to like, not necessarily just, you know, dream and hope and all that stuff It's more. So find who you are first. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Because yep. through that, you'll be able to figure out what your purpose is and then you'll be able to walk in it. Exactly. Like, and you know, it, you have to, you have to step out on faith and do some work though, because yeah. you yep. can, you can, you can plan a vision board party with your homegirls all you Absolutely. want, but until you start doing stuff that's on that board, it's just going to be a hope and a dream. And when that Absolutely. hope is deferred, that's how you end up sick. Yep. And so for me, it was no longer a dream. I'm not going to try to sound like Martin Luther King, but I've always known that my life was going to be used for something. I didn't know what, Absolutely. I just knew that I was something and mm-hmm. I, I knew I was important. I knew I was special. Yeah, to God. absolutely. I knew from from a child I did. Um, I just didn't know how it would go about that my story would get told. And so when when um the editor of the article called me, I didn't believe that that was really People Magazine because um she inboxed me on Instagram, <laughs> mm-hmm. and she's like, and her page is blank because it just says uh, Julie at People, and that was the name of her page at the time. She's changed it, but she what she does is, is she logs onto social media to find the talent that they want to put in the next story. Yeah. And she said, I've been following your story. She actually went to Black Women Losing Weight's page on Instagram, and that's how she found my story. Dang, and cool. um, she reached out to me. She wanted to know the validity of it. She wanted me to send personal pictures and um, some of my own story, and we talked, and she said, I'm going to call you back in a couple of weeks if this is something you know, we want for you to do, we'll let you know. I'm like, okay, they'll call me back. So I didn't tell anybody about it because I just didn't want to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And then one day I was at a play area with four of my kids um, and she called me, she said, I know it's the end of October. Do you think you can get here? And we fly you out November the 4th through the 7th. Hell yeah. The babies Girl. These kids. One second. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. I was like, I didn't even talk to their daddy. I was like, yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I flew out to New York and they they aired it on Good Morning America. We shot and we filmed. And um, I remember when my sister died, I remember telling my mom, mom, 
it's, I know it sucks because nobody is after the funeral, you know, everybody goes back to business as usual. <laughs> and my mom was struggling real bad with her death. And I remember telling my mom, I said, everybody's going to know your daughter's name. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, but they're going to know your name. And baby, when I tell you my article title was her sister's death saved her life. I was just about to say that. <laughs> I was literally about to say in the sense of like her death saved your life. It did. And that's what the, the title of the article in People is. Wow. Yes, ma'am. But what, where did Be Her Now come from? And why, why, that, why that name? One day I was um, on Instagram and someone had made that statement and the caption, it said, just be her, be the woman you want to be, be her. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I want to be her, but I want to be her now. Like, I don't want to wait to do it. I want, I, when, when Nikki died and I found out that the, what it was, I didn't wait any time. I literally went in my kitchen and cleaned out the whole house. I was like, uh-uh, we got to make changes now. Yeah. We, so oftentimes we wait for quote unquote, the stars to align and everything to be perfect. Yeah. And yeah, there is no perfect. You'll be in that waiting game for a lifetime. For a lifetime. You sn- listen, you snooze, <laughs> you snooze, you lose nowadays. Okay. So it was, oh that's what that was for me. That was just about like, mm-hmm. be her right now. Don't right wait. Now. So, it, and so the, the thing was like, be her. And it was period. And I, I just added the now to it. And then when I went online, the, the B-E her now was taken. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do B-E-E as in the queen B. Yeah. So the, the philosophy of behind be her now was be the queen you were created to be. And basically a queen right now. <laughs> right now. And I, I went online and I literally researched what a queen bee was. And mm-hmm. it basically is like she leads the hive. She sets herself apart. She's different. Yep. She's organized. Yep. She has a purpose. Like I literally went online and I researched and everybody comes to her for wisdom and understanding. Like mm-hmm. I put a lot of thought into that concept. And so for all of my clients, the concept behind that is be whatever it is you want to be. It's not just about fitness. Yep. Um, if you got a purpose and you feel like something is birthed inside of you, do it now. Okay. You better birth it. You better birth it. Bring um, it to life. <laughs> what is, or what are some things that you do as a mother, um, knowing that you've, you know, undergone the trauma you've gone through and obstacles and things like that, physically, emotionally, mentally, all of that. What are some things that you begin to put in place for your children, you know, when raising them to kind of help with some of the obstacles that you went through? I would say every single one of them is different. So yeah. they're different things. They all have different, all five of them have different needs also because they're different ages. Yeah. I really have tried to establish a place of, of, of a comfort, a place where she can be comfortable having conversations with me about pretty much anything. And I do know, I've been a teenager. I know the kids are not going to tell you everything, Mm -hmm. but I do want her to be comfortable communicating with me. I don't ever want her to feel like there's a question that's too dumb or too shocking. Um, I talk really real with her. Yeah. Yeah. No sugarcoating, no, no, no fluff. It's really real because Mm -hmm. the world will eat you up and spit you out. That's what I tell my dad too. Yeah, and, and, my, and my daughter, she's, you know, she's real cute. And I'm like, I want you to be cute and dumb, baby. You know, I want you to, be, I want you to, uh, to know that you're a pretty girl, but I also want you to have a More very too. good, yes, I want you to have a very, very good head on your shoulders. Yeah. And so I spend a lot of time focusing on that balance. I praise my children a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe wholeheartedly that what, the, the very first thing they believe about themselves come from the home. 
So I spend a lot of time acknowledging their strengths, but I also acknowledge their weaknesses. I tell them what their weaknesses are mm. so that over time they will see them. They're not going to believe me now, but I tell my daughter, listen, you're a procrastinator. Okay. Yep. So what can we do since you are a procrastinator? What can we do? Okay, mommy, I can wake up 20 more minutes early. And when you tell me to get out of bed, I, so I, I show them not just their strengths and I don't praise them all day, but I definitely show them who they are to help them see it. So that when I'm no longer around and I don't mean dead, I just mean when they're out on their yeah. own, they'll be able they're to put two and two together and they'll know. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm time, like I'm trying to save you from being a bomb. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'm, I'm trying to raise you to be somebody that people don't have to recover from. Okay. Or lean on or enable, you know, yes. all the, you know, all the, all the toxic stuff. Yeah. But I, yep. Definitely, yep. I definitely get it. Well, what would you say would be your, you know, kind of word of advice to those who are in a place of, you know, lost identity, physical is, have gotten out of control and they just don't even know where to start. I would say there's two things I would say. The first thing I would say is to one, reach out for help. Mm. There are so many people that we can call out for help on. We just, sometimes we don't feel comfortable, but there comes a point when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired that you, comfort goes out of the window. And when you get to a place where you don't care anymore about being comfortable, the fear is gone. You got to reach out. If it's a trainer that you know, if we're talking physical, if it's a personal trainer that you know or you saw online, invest in your health. It may not be cheap, but if we invest in everything else, invest in your health. Okay, I can't tell you how to spend your little stimulus change, but <laughs> invest hey, Get a membership with that little stimulus. You, you can get a gym membership. <laughs> a lot of people are afraid to get gym memberships because they feel like if I get there, I don't know what to do. So get help. Find yeah. a trainer that has been there. That's one of the things that I love that I feel that sets me apart is that I'm not some little skinny trainer that hasn't been there. I struggle every day with food addiction. Okay. Every day. So I know what it takes to get it off. So find someone that can help you. Now, if it's a mental struggle, go see somebody. Mm -hmm. Go talk to somebody. And not just your bestie, not over brunch. Go see a trained professional. Go to a trained professional. Not that your friends don't love you, but they don't have the tools all the time right. to help you get to the next level. So I would definitely say reaching out to get help. That is not a sign of weakness. That's actually a sign of strength. Mm -hmm. That's a sign of wanting better when you can say, I can't do this on my own. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I would suggest is to modify what your, your definition of success is. Your success, because a lot of times we feel like failures because we're not a size zero or we feel yeah. like failures because we don't have yeah. a, a business launch or we feel like failures because we don't have the latest handbag or we don't have the flyest guy on our arm. Listen, modify your, your, your definition of success. I had to do that during COVID because everybody kept talking about how they're exploding this and they're doing that and they're doing this. Listen, the fact that my twins are potty trained during COVID is successful. Okay. You know what I mean? I got <laughs> two I ain't got to buy diapers no more. That's, I'm winning. Yeah, I'm winning. Okay, like for the first two weeks of the pandemic, me and their daddy had them potty during they were three. Like we winning. We winning. So we just redefine re what success is. Don't let anybody define what success is for you. Yeah. Um, that 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 would be the biggest thing. Cause I walked in the shadows of so many people, looking at a lot of people's lives and looking at a lot of things, accomplishments of everybody else, and feeling so unaccomplished. But find a goal. This is my motto. This, in 2020, this was my motto to my clients. It was set a goal, reach the goal, smash the goal, work the goal. I'm sorry, reach the goal, then smash the goal. Okay. So, but you got to first set it, 
then you have to work it, work that goal, whatever the goal is, and then smash the goal. Mm-hmm. So that's my. And, and the thing is, like, man, like, in my eyes, I feel like you are an extremely successful woman in that, like, first of all, it takes it takes a person to really identify with themselves, their own personal traumas, and just dealing with themselves, like, that is a true measure of success in my eyes, um, which I, I echo to my fr- friends and family all the time. They get sick of me talking about it. But anyway, <laughs> um, first, you know, doing that and then being able to conquer life once you have this renewal and then get to a place where now, like you said, smashing it, you've created Be Her Now. And, and it's aligning not with just with you and your purpose and what you're here to do, but more so the 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 lives that you're going to touch through it is just phenomenal to me like that's a true measure of success is like um one of my friends was just asking me what i thought you know the purpose of life was and i said it's the the intangible advancement of people like people just want to feel worthy and find these intangible things about themselves like i'm enough Absolutely. or i'm strong and all these things and sometimes it's just through who you're around and the absolutely now that that's what it's going to do for queens out here and 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 whoever right it's going to be able to save their lives like so nikki saved yours but now you're going to be saving even more lives because you found this i mean you created this platform but in that you found yourself which is yeah which is awesome which is so awesome and i'm just i'm extremely excited about it because um and then the other thing of that is just like the people of color are going to be able to relate to you too. You know what I mean? Because I think even in our black community, we find that like people are scared of the gym because they're thinking like, Oh, it's just not for us and blah, blah, blah. But even then it's like, look at this beautiful black queen doing her thing, had a crazy journey. Here she is. And now, like you said, the lady called you like, I need your help. Like right now, you know what I mean? Probably because she could identify with you. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So just phenomenal. Like, I just love this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you yes. so much. I love, I love what I do. I found purpose in it every day. It's tough. It really is because mm-hmm. I do it while having a full-time job, while having five kids. But at the same time, I, my purpose is, like you say, it's so much bigger than me. Yeah. It's a, it, it really is. I'm getting ready to, um, j- to experience a really big life-changing event that I, I'm, I'm excited to just to, to, go on this journey um i'm mm-hmm. getting ready to undergo a kidney transplant wow. um i'm getting ready to be a donor and okay. how that came about was honestly god everybody keeps asking me am i scared uh, am i afraid and i've been documenting it and i'll be putting it up on my youtube channel um sometime probably at the end of the year yes. closer towards the end because we you know got to get through the process but um everybody keeps asking me am i scared and i told them listen when i signed up for it there's no fear because here I am getting to help someone save their lives and I'll still be alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My sister had to leave this earth to, 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 to transform my life. I, I want to be able to be around to see the results. And I believe wholeheartedly we were not born or created to work, pay bills and die. Oh, I know that's right. I know. I just, I just, that, that, that's been my motto since I was oh, yeah. a stay at home mom. And I was just looking at these little, little, little nappy head, little babies all day. I'm like, look, little girl. You look. kids is not life. Y'all trash. No, I'm just kidding. Look, listen, <laughs> like, this is not life. Not I, yeah, absolutely. That, and, 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 and shout out to every mom that does that. But for me, that wasn't no. enough. 
No, you know, I just I felt like I wanted something more, and 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 now I, I wish I could go back to those days because that was when life was a little less chaotic for me. But I realized something: other women need to know that same thing that they were created for something beautiful, and it's more than just waking up, taking care of your babies, and just going to bed every day. It feels like that sometimes; it gets tough, yeah. but there's there's purpose inside of you, and I, I help my my clients through fitness, through coaching, through accountability to help them find whatever their purpose is. Wee. Cause I'm tired of dragging kids. I'm tired. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Where can people find you on social media? So on my personal page for uh, Instagram, it's Queen Dales Dale D A L E Z, and then on Instagram, also for my professional page, I am Be Her Now B E E Her Now. I'm also on YouTube under Queen Dales as well, and I share the details of my journey. I go so deep. I talk about the transformation of, um, of how I lost the weight, what I ate, the workouts I did. I introduced my trainer and I also talk about having skin removal surgery. Mm. Oh yeah. Ooh, I need to go on and see what that's about. Yeah, <laughs> hop on YouTube. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, and I'm also, obviously I'm on uh, Facebook as well, Be Her Now. Okay. Ooh, I got to get the following because I need to see this documentary you got going on for the uh the transplant. But um, thank you so much for just sharing your story. It's so inspirational. And again, I'm just so excited about what you have going on. I think it's so powerful. Um, and I just, I just, I'm excited to see how it continues to blossom. Thank you so much for giving me a platform to share. I really appreciate it.